got to say has to be true, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Martin asked me whether he'd fallen into any heresy, so I said, well, true or false? <laughs>
accept this act that we carry out with confidence and love. Grant that war may end and peace spread throughout the world. The fiat that arose from your heart opened the doors of history to the Prince of Peace. We trust that through your heart, peace will dawn once more. And to you we consecrate the future of the whole human family, the needs and expectations of every people, the anxieties and hopes of the world. Amen. From John 13, and I'm using the uh, English Standard Version, which will be the basis for the Ordinary Form Lectionary um, from the first Sunday of Advent. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given back, given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. There follows five chapters of teaching. What it must have been like to have been there while our Lord taught. Much of it is central to our faith. It ends with the high priestly prayer. And then, John 18, verse 1. When Jesus spoke these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. It's interesting in the links that Martin was making between the Old Testament and the um, Last Supper that he didn't refer once to the Gospel of John. For a very good reason. The institution narrative is not there. It's unique to John to have the washing of the feet. But it's also unique amongst the Gospels that he does not, does not give us the institutional narrative. The oldest Latin rite lectionary has the Gospel from John as just related. And that's for the, um, uh, for the, the mandate of Mass, that is, on Monday, Thursday. It's dated 675, and we know that previously, for the Mandatum Mass, the Mass um, on Holy Thursday, we know that previously they had used Matthew. It is a fair chance that the change of Gospel 
is somehow linked, therefore, with the practice of feet washing. It may have been one way or the other. It may have been that they decided to change the gospel, which is unlikely. And then they said, oh, feet washing. Or it could have been the other way round that the feet washing was already there and they brought in the Gospel of John. It may have entered, therefore, the liturgy of Monday or Mandat and Thursday in that way. And in this country, it may have come really after 597. 597, as you should know, is the date that St. Augustine of Canterbury landed in the Isle of Thanet, bringing officially the church, bringing the church's message, the, the gospel here. Of course, there'd been earlier saints who had come for perhaps as uh, St. Alban as a soldier and so forth. But he was a Benedictine, and he was sent by a Benedictine, St. Gregory the Great. And the Benedictine rule, on a Saturday night, the cook, there's been a few cooks today, but the cook washed the feet of the monks in the rule of St. Benedict. I hope he washed his hands afterwards before making supper. Or maybe he used the water for broth. No, we better not think of that. But, you can see that maybe the influence of that foot washing may have resulted in, from the very beginning of the faith in this country, there being an emphasis upon the feet washing. The first unambiguous reference to foot washing ceremony comes in a 7th century document called the Roman Ordo in Cena Domini and the Pope washed the feet of his attendants. You probably are aware that in the Middle Ages, it was common for Christian kings to wash the feet of their poor once a year, and then they would invite them to a meal, to dine. Maybe a bit of shades of what Martin was talking about after, uh, of, the, of, the, of the meal, the Seder meal. So, really, the sight of the Holy Father washing feet is nothing new. It may be new to the media, but it's nothing new in the faith. In fact, I think I'm right in saying that um, St. Elizabeth of Hungary actually chose 12 lepers and washed their feet. That would involve a real act of faith, wouldn't it? the contagion involved in leprosy. So let's not, um, if anybody was being uncharitable enough to think this, to think that the Holy Father is virtue signaling or is involved in political correctness. No, no. <clears throat> there are forceful saints who set the pattern a long time before. And indeed, as we have heard in that Gospel, our Lord himself. 
Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It's about service. And I think we understand that. But it's also about cleansing. I mentioned earlier to someone talking about Canning Town. And yes, the homeless and the poor are often dirty physically. The Friars of the Renewal, who still work there, <coughs> make sure that there's clean clothes and they have showers when they come in before they're fed. And that is something wonderful and it is necessary. But it also has a ritual quality. Peter protests. He thought it beneath the dignity of Jesus to do something like that. He hadn't understood. But our Lord first of all makes clear to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It's more than a nice gesture. Lord, not my feet only, but also my head and my hand. Peter takes it literally. And you know, perhaps we tend to classify this along the, the lines of another stupidity by Peter. I don't think we'd be any different. Who wouldn't? If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I want to be completely clear. But our Lord's reply is significant and quite mysterious too. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet but it's completely clean. Well, that's certainly more of a ritual thinking than a literal one, isn't it? If we put on our sacramental spectacles, though, at this point, we can see that the one who has bathed is really a reference, we could say, to baptismal regeneration. They've been through the bath of regeneration. And perhaps then, accept his feet. Well, if you've been on a journey in those days, maybe it was only your feet that had been dirty by the dust in the road in life's way. And perhaps that's the, the practice of regular confession. We have been baptized. All of our sins, both original and actual, at that moment were removed. That's a privilege, especially for those of us who are baptized later in life. Because for the rest of you, before the age of seven, of course, actual sin uh, is not um, countenanced. Is our Lord 
being pharisaical. Mark 7. When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Christ gives them short shrift on the tradition of the elders. But isn't he creating a tradition of himself of a parallel sort? When he asks them, wash each other's feet, which is a ritual, not a complete wash? Well, yes, <laughs> he can, because he can create tradition. That's not a paradox. He's about to sit down and say, do this in memory of me. He is about to create great tradition that we still celebrate day after day after day. He says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition, and he's referring, of course, to Korban, which is, as you know, is this process whereby the uh, Pharisees did not have to look after their parents. But because they could say this and this is Korban and uh, you can't use it. He is God and he is laying down the commandment or rather he is summarizing again the twin commandments to love God and neighbor. Now if we view this, the feet washing as a sacramental type of baptism and confession, not a sacrament, of course, in that sense. It makes a visible a link with the Last Supper which is about to follow. And it's a link which is obscured for a reason I've already really touched upon in relation to the division of the Gospels in this matter. John's Gospel has the feet washing. The other three Gospels have the institution of the Eucharist. Having given us an account of the most concentrated and divine of the teaching of Christ that night in the upper room, the Evangelist begins the 18th chapter, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples. And you know, John doesn't even mention the hymn that is mentioned in Matthew. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> I don't think the hymn was Colors of Day. <laughs> Hallel. I think I'm right in saying, Martin, it would have been the one, 
is Psalm 118, Hallel. So you get no idea that there had just been the last supper. They're not that there had been um, a Passover meal. I don't need, in view of Martin's excellent discussion earlier, uh, explanation earlier, to talk about the four cups. But the four parts are there. And we... You, we could say, well, what our Lord must have done in those, those hours was actually just teach. And therefore, we, we have not, are not able to see the link between the feet washing and the Last Supper. As it were, it depends upon us experiencing the mandatum mass to see the connection between them. I know that feet washing does not have to take place um, at the beginning of the mass on Monday, Thursday. But it is normal. And that link, therefore, is made liturgically between the two. We can guess why John omits it. Matthew has these wonderful words. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying, Drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The synoptic writers had already recorded this. They didn't need to be reminded of what they did and said every time they met together for the breaking of bread didn't have to. It was already part of, well, part of their formation. You know, when we talk about the, the loss of formation in our children, and Martin touched on it earlier in what he said, and we, well, you're part of the solution, of course, because you are determined that your children will be brought up with proper formation. But really, an essential way of looking at that is to remember the Bar Mitzvah and how Martin and all of his colleagues and friends and relatives really, in, in a liturgical way, had to learn about their faith. I think that's something which we need. And 
that point made earlier too about the importance of the scriptures. The scriptures really at any point in the church's year are full of the meaning of our faith. You don't need to go further in order to teach yourselves and to teach your children. And of course, there's one other reason. Perhaps, and I think there's some evidence of this, perhaps sometimes they didn't want to write something down because it was too sacred. There's a controversy about one particular um, recording of the um, of the, the Last Supper, exactly along those lines. Words are missing. Words of institution are missing. Oh, must mean that they didn't have them. They didn't use them. No, no. They were too special. If we don't put down our Bibles on the floor, then we certainly shouldn't treat the words of our Lord at this intense moment of our salvation lightly. Do this as often as you need. No need to repeat those words. And perhaps John, who was the one whom Jesus loved, wouldn't write them down for love of his master. Back to the point about the link and the obscuring of that link. When the feet washing is over, Jesus explains it and then moves on to the subject of who will betray him. And the reader as well as may be the apostles themselves. The reader will be forgiven. Well, not exactly forgetting about the institution of the Eucharist, but thinking, well, that must have been in some other point. Because we are drawn in, first of all, to that shocking news, and then into the depths of the Lord's teaching, which, of course, for him, before he's about to go to his passion and death, would be the most important things, just as it is with our relatives and friends, who when they are dying, have something important to say. So the link between the feet washing and the institution is there, but it's because of the reasons I've explained to you that it is perhaps obscure. Matthew 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Oh yes, sin separates us. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. That's why then is such a positive experience. Because when we remove the obstacles 
in this season of cleansing, when we remove the obstacles with penance, fasting, almsgiving, then we can enjoy Ibo Perhaps we should think of this as our daily feet washing if we can get to daily mass. Only our feet? Well, I shall go up to the altar of God. Let's be clear about this. That confitio at the beginning of Mass is still there in the ordinary form. It's a little bit obscure. Or at least it perhaps has not got the same gesture that it has in the extraordinary or the traditional Latin Mass. The priest says in Troibo and Altare Dei, at the foot of the altar, at the entrance to the sanctuary, below the cross. He's not going in there until, well, his feet are washed in a sense. Until those venial sins have been removed, because that, of course, is what our confiture does at the beginning of Mass. That's why we have it. I think perhaps if we could just simply return, not to however many tons of curtain was it, did you say, between the sanctuary, between the Holy of Holies and the people? No, that curtain has been torn down once for all. But nevertheless, it is difficult for us, impossible to gain graces if we enter with sin on our conscience. A second point during the Mass, if I can mention it. The feet washing, you know, is maybe the first lovable of Christ's priests. At a Mass, after the offertory, well, if there's incense, of course, he incenses the bread and the wine and the altar, and then he turns and recites the words lavabo into innocentes manus meas. By this time the catechumens have gone, of course. In the old days they would have left, still do in the east, catechumens depart, because this is the Holy of Holies, this is the holiest part of the Mass. What follows is only for those already in the body of Christ. But what's he getting down to? What is he doing? What's the first thing he does after the complete um, catechumens have gone? Washing his hands. Huh. You might say, well, if he's used incense, he's probably got some charcoal on his hands, especially if the, nor maybe incense of the servers being clumsy. Or maybe it's the stickiness of the of the chain of the thoroughbore. No, it's not that, is it? 
And in fact, there is a beautiful psalm, and I'm going to read you in translation, a beautiful psalm to accompany that washing. With the pure in heart, I will wash my hands clean and take my place among them at the altar. With the pure in heart, I will wash my hands clean and take my place among them at the altar. Can you hear the beating of the wings at Mass? Even if there's only one person in the congregation, the host of heaven is there. Those who are pure in heart. The saints, maybe the saints depicted in the statues around the altar, depicted in the paintings, the reredos, I, with the pure in heart, will wash my hands clean. Listening there to the sound of thy praises, telling the story of all thy wonderful deeds. There is a curtain. It's behind the altar, and it's as if, as if at this moment it is being pushed aside, pulled back, or maybe the reredos hinges open and suddenly suddenly the sound of thy praises Psalm 180 listening to the story of all thy wonderful deeds how well Lord I love thy house in its beauty the place where thy own glory dwells yes change of tone. Lord, never count this so lost with the wicked, this life among the bloodthirsty, hands ever stained with guilt, palms ever itching for a bribe. Yeah. Please God, we've left our sins before we climbed up to the altar. Be it mine to guide my steps clear of wrongs. Deliver me in thy mercy. My feet are set on firm ground. And after that moment of, that moment of, well, of, of trepidation, am I pure? Am I clean? Am I fit to be here with this company of angels, with the sound of the heavenly choir singing thy praises? course I'm not. But no, my feet are set on firm ground. Where thy people gather, Lord, I will join in blessing thy name. We have this great privilege to enter into the Holy of Holies. To do so we need, yes, the baptism that cleanses. And we need, yes, the feet washing that removes those 
particles of dust that have gathered since the last time we've been to confession. When we participate in the Mandatum this year, please God it will be possible the tragedies and the obstacles of the past two and a half years nearly notwithstanding may we be eternally grateful for the cleansing of baptism of confession and may we join together that action of our Lord serving his disciples so that they could enter into the last supper and receive him for the first time under the guise of bread and wine from his own hands. And may we ever be reminded of that privilege. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father and the Son.